0: Hey, hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of UCU Campus Chats. My name is Kim Zwitserloot. I'm one of the professors at University College Utrecht. I teach economics. I'm also one of the tutors. And I'm here today with UCU fellow in mathematics and UCU professor in mathematics, Victor. And I'm going to apologize in advance for maybe probably mispronouncing your last name. Is it bless you? Blocher. Oh, that's very different. Blocher.
1: Don't worry about it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Something like that. And that's a Swedish name, is that correct?
1: Yes. Okay,
0: Blue so... Lake.
1: Yeah, that's... Sorry? It means Blue Lake.
0: Oh, okay. Blue Lake. Cool. And because you're originally from Stockholm, more or less. Whereabouts yes. are you uh, in Sweden? That's right. Okay. So yeah, you're one of our um, professors in mathematics at University College Utrecht. You teach uh, several of the courses here, including Mathematics for Liberal Arts and Sciences, Mathematics for poets in the past as well, uh, calculus, and am I forgetting anything? I think those are the three that you're covering right now, right?
1: Right now, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I taught history of philosophy of science as well, group theory, I taught also this winter. Yep.
0: Okay. And uh, you're also, of course, at the Institute for Mathematics at Utrecht University? Yes. Um, as well as a fellow at University College Utrecht, meaning you're responsible for all the classes in mathematics that are taught here. Why math? How did you... Because you already did a bachelor in math uh, in Sweden when you were younger. Why math? How did you decide to go in that direction?
1: I never had any doubts, uh, I guess, from the uh, back in the day. Uh, Maybe I have drifted... My my research area nowadays is history of mathematics, so I have sort of broadened uh, the expanded a bit beyond starting out coming from, from mathematics itself i sort of expanded my horizons a bit but uh, yeah, at that time uh, i i was interested in mathematics because of its uh, our other subjects are are too uh, too much fluff they they, they, they crumble on the, the more you probe the more the, you start to question and the more the yeah. thing sort of evaporates you know in the I know mathematics somehow it survives this kind of uh, critical scrutiny, and so uh, the, the, it, it has. It's a kind of a sustained a sense of the the way ideas can build on themselves in mathematics. It is uh, this, this, you can genuinely uh, achieve a sort of uh, a state of flight compared to other subjects which are like leaping you know you can have a moment of of a glimpse of some kind of uh, beauty or joy but uh, as soon as you start to to think about it it's it's, mathematics has this liberty that this uh, sustained nature of well I don't know how to how to capture uh, this uh, well in words but it was something that at the time, I felt that, that mathematics was the only thing that had this kind of the, the purity of thought, thought that enables this, if you want to connect beautiful ideas and make thought constructions, yeah, then mathematics is a place where that truly works. And in other subjects, if you try to do this thing, it's always a little, you know, once you start to question it, it's always a little, well, maybe this wasn't really, maybe that's not exactly justified and maybe the evidence for that wasn't really perfect. And, uh, so you only have um, glimpses in other subject, glimpses of, of of beauty of chains of ideas, but in mathematics, this stuff uh, this stuff works. Or, I'm thinking,
0: yeah,
1: maybe a better way to put it. I don't know if it's, but so I also like to justify mathematics like this. the, the what is a human being? we mm-hmm. have a body and a mind and the the body is made for certain things it likes to run and uh, eat and uh, and dance and so this is it, it's when the body is happy when it's in its elements when it's doing the things it was meant to do the human mind also has these uh, innate abilities that it was made for certain purposes it has language it has creativity mm-hmm. it has joy and friendship and love and these are the things that it's meant to to do and also mathematics is one of those uh, yeah inherent uh, characteristics of the human mind it, is, it has a uh, you know spatial intuition space and number and these things are things that the, the mind is meant to do so the mind uh, takes a special joy in this in in, in doing what it's naturally uh, designed to do so we want to uh, you know mathematics is a kind of taps into this very primal something essential of human nature. And that, yeah. that way, it is uh, a kind of pure intellectual joy.
0: It, it sounds as something I see a lot as a tutor. Uh, a tutor at UCU is a uh, academic advisor who helps students choose their classes, compose their curriculum. And very often students end up, well, ideally, I would say even, students end up in the subject that somehow just, intuitively make sense to them like there is some kind of reasoning and a way of looking at the world in that subject where for them it's immediate it's like yeah that's how it works for me as well and it sounds a little bit like like that's what you have with mathematics that there's just this perfect fit between your mind and your brain and, and the way that mathematics views the world and sees the world i don't <laughs> know if, if that would be a correct way of, of describing it
1: yes absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. it has to be uh, indeed, it was a, a co- kind of a, an irrational decision, as it were, you know, for the, the heart wants what it wants, you know. I, I was never uh, sort of uh, strategic or anything. It's so like, yeah. oh, math is going to give me a good job, you know. That was never uh, on my radar at all as a consideration. I was only just doing what what, uh, follow my passion, yeah, for sure.
0: Because you also wrote... Um... An article about intuition in mathematics, and in particular in the textbooks, um, which seems to be linked to a lot of the things that you're saying right now. That there's something about it that comes natural to people. I'm sure there will be some people listening who are saying, "Well, not to me," but indeed, there, um, yeah, there is something about mathematics that for a lot of people just makes sense. Could, could you explain a little bit what that article was about? Because it's really about your other passion, which is teaching.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh... The uh, modern mathematics there are certain sort of uh, norms or or, uh, conventions or uh, almost dogmas in modern mathematics and mathematical community that uh, uh, I mean I guess it's one of my the reasons why I've been drawn to history to the liberal arts tradition teaching at a college like this it's really a good fit for me and partly because I want a little bit of distance to the uh, mainstream. Uh, culture And if you, if you just go to a modern mathematics uh, department and just uh, uh, sort of uh, embrace it, tell me what to do, you know, yeah, so many people, they, they enjoy a traditional, they don't mind uh, arriving at the university and just being a kind of open vessel and be like, well, yeah. you tell me what's the, what I'm supposed to do. And I want to succeed by whatever standards you define. I'm happy to just play the, by the rules and, and yeah. succeed by those standards. Me, for me, and I think for many liberal arts inclined students, it is more uh, you would rather uh, do some what makes sense to you to follow your own mm-hmm. convictions and passions. And you're not so interested in just uh, sort of conventional success by by means of standards that somebody else has defined. So I've always question. And I believe when it comes to this question of, of intuition in mathematics, this is one of those things that in the modern mathematical community, the, the uh, Basically, people don't have a kind of negative attitude towards the role of intuition in mathematics and they regard it as a sort of flimsy, psychological, uh, subjective kind of thing. You know, you can't yeah. use intuition. You're supposed to use pure pure logic, purely formal thought. And, you know, of course, from a certain point of view, that makes sense. And there, there, there have been, uh, there are historical reasons for why we have ended up with that those kinds of attitudes. However, like I described this way that so many people who succeed in a sort of conventional mathematics, many of those today, uh, that encourages quite a narrow uh, kind of mindset. And many people sort of internalize these kinds of values, like for instance, this dismissal of the role of intuition. This is the kind of thing that it's, it's in the culture and people just sort of uh, end up absorbing those values without really questioning them very much or without thinking about it or uh, you know arriving at that conclusion for themselves instead they just take that from the culture you know that yeah. that's what the professors are saying and I just sort of want to be like them and I just internalize that's how. so so we end up with those kinds of things so, somewhat like dogmas you know I mean they're not they're not unjustified there's a reason why it came up why we ended up with those why the culture took on those values but nevertheless uh, because of the uh, lack of uh, criticism of, of some of those things that then they end up being more dogmatic than they should be so I like to question those kinds of things and so so especially with this question of, of the role of intuition in, in teaching or the role of intuition in mathematics it's something that uh, if you just follow uh, sort of the default values of the mathematical community you, you would end up uh, with a very one-sided view of that issue, and certainly on a historical scale, that is really out of touch with uh, with much of what mathematics has meant for many people, including many leading mathematicians that uh, that are supposed to be uh, sort of poster boys for the modern view. If you go back and look, what the reality is quite different. You know that there's more to the story. So, you know, in history history can help us there to see things uh, in a more balanced way and uh, free ourselves from some of these modern, uh, almost dogmatic beliefs, especially in teaching. I think this stuff is very important, you know, to- Yeah. uh, Certainly at the liberal arts institution to that we should be more open-minded and we should be more uh, sort of um, uh, independent in our thought than to simply accept whatever happens to be the, the norms of the day. Yeah. And critically.
0: yeah, no, I recognize that as well. I think when I, once, when I joined UCU, you get into contact with so many people from other fields as well, both your students and your colleagues, that it makes you look at your own field in more critical ways. And it really makes you aware of, of the dogma that is often there, that for some people is immediately obvious and others, indeed, like you say, you sort of accept it without question and only once you're confronted with other ways of thinking do you see it. Um, What was it like for you? Because you've done a bachelor and a master in math, in just math only. What was your first acquaintance with with both the dogmas and with other ways of thinking?
1: Well, I I guess I was always uh, sort of uh, hoping that at some level it would, uh, you know, when I was sort of in high school or something, you say, Yeah, but this is only high school. Wait a minute. Until I get to the real yeah. stuff, you know, it's going to, everything's going to be good. So I guess I've hoped that it would all kind of, surely people will eventually be you know, sensible. But uh, well, it so, and uh, I did see, uh, I, I, I still, I guess it's my uh, personality or instinct, you know, that the, uh, when uh, the uh, when I uh, sem- so, like I said, so many people who who do, did the degree that I did, they were very happy to simply uh, uh, embrace the uh, whatever you know. They were almost uh, sort of. Uh, they were so willing to pick up the cultural cues of mm-hmm. if the professors. Almost, they barely. I mean, it's not like they have to tell you what to believe. You know, they just yeah. subtly hint yeah. at some things, and people are so ready to just absorb all of those values and just, oh yeah, yeah, yeah this is you know, because they want to fit in, they want to. So uh, you know, as that, I remember seeing that kind of dynamic, and I, it was always uh, instinctively. I just never liked that, so I, yeah. I was always looking for other. Uh, asking other kinds of questions, not the kinds of questions that were you were encouraged to ask, but the kinds that I wanted to to know the answers to and yeah. eventually I found that if I wanted the answers to these questions I had to go to the library and started digging around and and I ended up in history books to find those answers yeah. it was not my intention but that's where the that's how I was able to many of the why questions that I wanted to know it yeah. turns out that the the answers were hidden over there.
0: Because based, uh, for most people who are not that familiar with math as an academic subject, or in general, math, when they hear math, they think equations, formulas, numbers, adding up, multiplying, all of that stuff. Um, but there's more to math than that, of course. From where you're standing right now, what would be your definition of mathematics? Yikes. sorry it's funny because it's often one of the most difficult questions to ask how would you define your subject
1: right right well but so uh, space and number you know that like uh, if if we want to tie it to the primary intuitions of the human mind we can say that uh, the we have spatial intuition and we have number uh, sense this is uh, as fundamental as our ability to for language or something like that and so You might say, so yeah, anything that uh, utilizes ultimately those capacities that's, uh, uh, you know, sort of characterizes mathematical thought, I suppose, and yeah.
0: Okay. Um, Well, you mentioned already your interest in history and how that has influenced uh, how you think about mathematics nowadays. I understand from the Utrecht University website that your favorite centuries are the 17th century, the 19th century and minus 3. Yeah. Um what is it about those centuries? What is it about 300 BC?
1: That stuff. Well, so the earliest one, <coughs> the good old Greek days, yeah, there's fantastic stuff, you know, at the uh, really uh underrated of course, the uh, the great Greek. So is it's popular nowadays to sort of uh uh, obviously, uh, to try to move away from this stuff about uh, how the Greeks were supposedly. Uh, yeah, it's Eurocentric. It's blah. blah, blah. You know, uh, uh, in my opinion, if anything, we underrate these the fantastic achievements of this era, and we, the, we shouldn't uh, throw throw that stuff out. Uh, do you uh, or they? Also some cultural values back then are so sort of drives that, uh, that thing, a kind of a critical attitude, you know, that was a part of the whole, you know, the democracy stuff and all mm-hmm. that, and it's sort of part of that package and uh, deeply critical kind of thought, question everything and certainly challenge each other, you know, that was a big part of the uh, intellectual culture that which we have today perhaps uh, lack as to to the, to the extent that they had back then this, this very free uh, critical attitude it's a, it's a yeah. de- default assumption that you're just supposed to criticize everybody else and say oh that guy wrong that guy is wrong that was the whole sort of yeah. default mode of doing philosophy you know yeah and nowadays this is you can that that's a little bit uh, You're considered sort of rude or something if you're to uh, sort of if scholarship is supposed to be collaborative and you know you maybe you get further by making friends yeah with everybody but uh, you know that uh, spirit back then it was uh, quite a beautiful thing I uh, that suits me quite well to try to do this uh, sort of very spirited. debate kind of stuff and uh, yeah. love that stuff
0: in order to get deeper you need to be able to question things without it indeed affecting the relationship in some ways yeah that, it's, that's uh, a skill set all on its own <laughs> yeah.
1: it's just uh you know if, if there's uh, just one guy doing it if everybody is uh best buddies and there's one yeah. guy's probing and being critical then it's that that's it's, it's like an abnormality and it's yeah. sort of uh, awkward but yeah. if everybody's sort of buying into such a culture where questioning is the norm then it's not awkward anymore it's it's not a uh, you just have to change the the social norms it's not inherently I think uh, has to has to be you know the way we view today that critical things can be sort of uh, problematic or alienating or Mm -hmm. something like that yeah Uh, that I think it's uh, we don't want to it's not necessary to view it that way. If we, uh, if everybody buys into this common norms, then it doesn't have to have those characters at all. It can just be yeah. purely liberating, and you know, you just have to. Have, we are very bad today at debating, you know, with yeah. our opponents and our enemies. But the, the Greeks were indeed quite wise about that stuff. They had certain, uh, uh, you know, carefully constructed uh, norms, and they were kind of skilled in how to how to do this, how to debate with people you disagree with. Yeah. In a constructive way.
0: It was, it was yeah.
1: Today, of course.
0: And it wasn't because they were working in a different framework where there were clear social rules as well in terms of what was expected and how do you go about criticizing each other that that was possible.
1: Yes, yeah, they, yeah. they were very much concerned with that, you know, to to create a climate in which this kind of philosophical work could be sustained, right? And so they were sort of... Uh, uh, Indeed, uh, aware that you need certain norms for to make this viable, and I think they, they did that quite well. And we should try to reach in for that as well, and more than we yeah. are doing.
0: Is that something you're trying to achieve in the classroom as well?
1: I would like to. Uh, I try to do that. Uh, so certainly uh, you, you can only go so far in trying to change the, the North, but certainly an easy step, I guess, the first step would be to always embrace uh, self-criticism, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I always uh, try to, uh, to maybe uh, if, you, if you try to set an example this way and uh, inviting people to criticize your own views, then you can sort of... Uh, Model how we might uh, do that more generally. So, yeah. Uh, so, so I, I try to spark this. Uh, uh, invite people to yeah. attack my positions, you know, and then that could be a starting point for for that critical thought. I hope that maybe we should. Uh, maybe we should all co-teach all courses and have with people who we disagree with and then we yeah. can all have an interesting uh, spirited uh, discussions i think it would be quite uh, fruitful to uh,
0: absolutely, absolutely. Climate. Yeah. and um what about the 17th century
1: yeah it's uh, so liberating and freedom you know so, so many years there was this scholastic kind of stuff going on, you know, very uh, rigid, very formalistic, lack of independent thought or or lack of courage, you know, it's too much of respect for authority, too much uh, mm-hmm. traditionalism. And so on. the 17th century, they, they are uh, so uh, irreverent, you know, they're just like, oh, well, I'm going to do whatever, what I believe, you know, boom. Uh, yeah. they crazy things, very uh, sort of... Uh, also, the, the kinds of uh, attitudes to authority, the kinds of uh, the criticism of things they disagree with is extremely strong. And it's, it's so strongly worded. And of course, today you could never say things like that. It's got yeah. out of, uh, now you're supposed to be uh, you know, a proper intellectual, has to be polite. And so forget it. I mean, these guys were nuts with the, how they went to extreme lengths to just condemn yeah. everything. So and so that's completely idiotic. And so this, yeah. this is what they say all the time. So I, I like this spirit, this freedom, this sort of uh, faith in themselves. You know, just, just, I'm going to use my own judgment. And if I think something, yeah. is, I just go follow what I believe, you know, instead of the uh, sort of subservient mindset that had dominated for so long before. And also the 17th century, with all the new discoveries, mathematics, sciences, all this stuff is exploding. And it, 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 there's a sort of childlike uh, mentality that is very... Uh, charming as well you know that they are sort of discovering everything for the first time they're like little children oh wow wow (laughs) So it's very infectious you know to see that uh, that joy
0: And, and what would you say that changed or what allowed for that kind of attitude to exist for people to have that freedom
1: yeah yeah you just have to have the guts to take the leap there and I, you know, uh, why did the uh, scientific revolution take so long? Certainly, we needed uh, the input, you know, of the the good good old days, the Greek stuff, which was only discovered quite late. And uh, the printing press was uh, also very important, you know. And once you have that, uh, you have uh, uh, a bunch of books written by uh, from a different culture, where you can see the freedom that they allowed themselves, the the mm-hmm. the spirit in which they did philosophy that gives you the courage you know to exercise a similar freedom of mind in your own age right so, so well we have to rediscover the classics and you have to have those stuff readily available in printed form and then uh, yeah. your business you know so
0: because it sounds from what you're describing that it's also very determined on the social framework um, that you're part of Um, And of course, as an economist, I mean, I've got my own glasses on in many ways. And and one of my first thoughts would be is that the people who are free to express themselves in such a way are often financially independent.
1: Yeah, well, there is some of that, but uh, I don't think so much in in, uh, the history of mathematics. I mean, most people are not really, uh, it's not a history of great privilege. You know, there are many. You know, really quite uh, average uh, people with not, <clears throat> it's not really an art of the nobility, you know, mathematics. Many of yeah. these people are just average, uh, normal people who made it uh, quite far. So <clears throat> I know today it is quite popular to, uh, to to draw those kinds of links and to try to say, well, you know, it was the era of colonialism and that's at the same time as this stuff happened and so on. Uh, the, that we are sort of uh, fundamentally exploitative uh, sort of benefits of to society that occurred at that time. And that's why it was able to do, I don't really think so. And in any case, I don't think the uh, the timing lines up either. You know, this stuff has already happened before, you know, you have Copernicus, mm-hmm. Kepler, Galileo, mm-hmm. Shakespeare, yeah. all that stuff is before he even started to, for example, the slave trade. So it was already up and running uh, before, great colonial enterprises and so that, you know, the millions aren't rolling in from any of that. So uh, I yeah. think it's not really uh, fundamentally uh, dependent on uh, on any kind of exploitative type of relationship.
0: Yeah. Who would you admire today in, in current day mathematics? Is there anyone in particular that you say, oh, that person embodies that spirit?
1: Uh, I don't dare to say, I, I'm not... You know, I haven't kind of arm's length the distance to to mm-hmm. some to the cutting edge you know I, I can't uh, modern mathematics is extremely uh, so specialized and advanced that it is extremely difficult to follow even for experts in a sort of mm-hmm. adjacent area of mathematics you can barely uh, you know keep up with you know the advanced stuff that's going on let alone me who is very far from from the, from the cutting edge in Modern uh, research, so it's uh, it's difficult to to have a sense of that, you know. Uh, unfortunately, rather well, sad.
0: But yeah, it seems like it's a position you're also very comfortable in. With a little bit of it,
1: it has worked out well for me. My little niche, you know, and it suits yes. my interests. And uh, that some, somebody needs to do this kind of stuff as well. Uh, <laughs> True.
0: Yeah. Because you uh, did a master's as well in London in the history and philosophy of math, if I remember correctly, or science.
1: Yeah, sure. Yes.
0: And then you came to Utrecht University for your PhD. Why Utrecht University?
1: Yes. uh, Well, because uh, there is history mathematics here. You know, the history mathematics tradition is fantastic. It is uh, uh, really very, very unique. It goes back many decades, several generations of uh, stuff work in history mathematics, which is... On a global scale, you know, the history of mathematics is almost non-existent as a research field. It is so small; uh, hardly anybody does this, let alone uh, as we do it here within a department of mathematics. You know, that yeah. we, we believe that history of mathematics belongs in to the mathematicians, and that is uh, something that is uh, you know, uh, hardly exists anywhere in the world. We are perhaps the world's largest uh, research group in history of mathematics within a math department. We are like four people or something, you know. So, oh, wow, you know, okay. Such a tiny uh, research field.
0: Yeah. And, and what would people what would people be surprised about if, if, if they found out about the history of math? What was it that surprised you? Because you described yourself when you were a student that you started to look for um, more critical approaches yourself when you ended up in the history yeah. section of the library. Um, is there like something that you read that, open that first made you think oh wait there is there are other ways of looking at this
1: yeah i guess it uh, does i mean so in in modern um, if you're planning a modern curriculum in mathematics you can you have the sort of benefit of hindsight right you can Mm -hmm. organize courses in such a way that you put a bunch of stuff in year one because you know that stuff is going to be needed in year three but the the students won't see that you know in the yeah. you just have to take a word for it you know just yeah. do what i say because i know it's going to work out later but yeah. you know just shut up and learn right so but history it doesn't have that perspective it doesn't have his yeah. hindsight point of view you know history can only do things that make sense at the time so yeah. every idea is introduced to solve a problem then and there you know that's some it has to have an immediate kind of payoff right yeah so uh, I, this is uh, so history is always the answer to that question if it makes sense in retrospect, but at the time when I was studying these courses and I wanted to know the why questions, you know, the, why does that make sense? Who, why would somebody yeah. introduce what's the purpose of this idea, which uh, the, the conventional courses don't want to teach you that because that's a, like a waste of time, you know, it's just, yeah. just cram more stuff in there and get speed on to the next. Uh, but if you want to pause and reflect on this kind of stuff, like why, but wait a minute, you know, <clears throat> then, um, how would you, history has the answers to those questions because it must have, right? Because yeah. it must, yeah. there must have been a purpose. People doesn't, don't do things for no reason, you know, historically. Yeah. So when you look at when it, the idea was introduced in originally, mm-hmm. then it has purpose, it has meaning, it answers some active problem that made sense. And that context is often erased in teaching because of efficiency considerations, you know, you don't have time to go into all that, you just have to cover so and so, yeah. and, so and so because that needs that three years later
0: which is a pity because i imagine because i do a little bit like that in my courses as well and it's so much easier for everyone me included to understand a theory if you know the context like where did this come from what what problem indeed did it solve at the time as you're describing yeah um, and it makes it so much easier to digest and, and it just clicks then if you yeah. have that context
1: yeah, definitely. And I guess some people are more, I think, liberal arts students are the kinds of students who crave that form of understanding. And, and maybe there are some other people who don't, uh, they don't have that kind of urge to, to yeah, but why, yeah. but why, you know, they don't have that mindset. But, but some students are, are like that and the liberal arts students are, have that, that uh, uh, desire to, to know those kinds of, that form of understanding. So I think that's the kind of stuff that we should uh, especially emphasize at our college.
0: Yeah. And it is something, if you look at our admissions procedure, it is something we're explicitly looking for uh, in the application phase, that we're really looking for students who crave knowledge for the sake of knowledge, who really just simply want to understand uh, whatever is the topic that they're trying to understand, but the, the basis needs to be sort of a curiosity and an instinct for I want to know why things are a certain way.
1: Yeah.
0: Because um, on your website as well, which I highly recommend people visiting, because it's really fascinating uh, information on there, including two textbooks that you wrote yourself—one about sort of an intuitive approach to calculus, and another one about the history of math. Indeed, but on there there's also a manifesto of sorts about teaching mathematics. Right. Um, and you have a couple of axioms there that you say, okay, this is what I think it should look like. Could you explain um, what those are, those axioms for teaching?
1: Uh, that was a long time ago that I wrote ah. these things. <laughs> 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 but the, the, uh, I don't have a manifesto the talk of my head anymore. But I think we have covered the, the main points of that. Um, mm-hmm. Already, this this, uh, this this spirit of independence, this spirit of you, that we need to uh, s- not uh, as teachers, we don't want to treat a student as a sort of uh, subservient or somebody who we can order to do things because we treat ourselves as a kind of dictator and be like, well, you do this and this and this because I'm the teacher and this is going to be good for you, you know. And instead, we want to create an environment where we Make it, uh, reach the students' own motivation and uh, convince them that they would want to learn these things, and why do we want to learn it through their own conviction, inherent uh, inner uh, desire? So this is, uh, I guess, the uh, one of the defining characteristics that I. Uh, that I was trying to get at over there. You tell me what I wrote.
0: <laughs> well, you've covered two of them indeed. One of them is indeed that uh, students, you should sort of teach as if you're assuming that students have indeed a desire to figure things out, that the goal is independent thinkers. And uh, the last one, and I, I love this one, and I find it very recognizable also, or maybe especially when you're uh, supervising students with their thesis. Uh, if you're not stuck you're not learning.
1: Right.
0: What did you mean by that?
1: Indeed, uh, that is, uh, I think, especially in mathematics, it, it is a common uh, misconception, you know, that uh, you're, you're supposed to know it, right? Uh, people have been drilled in uh, the idea that uh, mathematics, you get the hundred problems and you're supposed to boom, 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 you know, just yeah. be able to, uh, to crunch uh, through the thing. And uh, if you're stuck somewhere, you're not, uh, you know, you're, you get, uh, sort of the culture suggests that you're not a math person if you're if things don't click to you uh, the moment you see it or even uh, students often have this inhibiting kind of thing that they look at the problem and say, oh no i don't know how to solve it i don't uh, sorry i don't know you tell i yeah. uh, no, asking the teacher what how do i solve you know the, the it's your they are the the implicit assumption in that uh, kind of mindset is this sort of uh, Either you know it or you don't, and you just—if you just look at the problem, you're supposed to enter that boom. Okay, now I know yep. how to solve. Or, if, and if that doesn't happen, then well, I can't do anything. You know, yes, yeah. it's, it's impossible. But so it's it, it, this is unfortunate, and we we should uh, reach this, embrace this uh, mindset more. That uh, if we don't know at the first sight what well, you know, what's, what's going to happen, that's all the better. This is the the way to uh, an opportunity to. Figure things out and to grow yeah. because those that is this where learning happens, of course, when we push ourselves. Yeah. You know, you don't go to the gym and lift a, a toothpick 100 times, you know, it's pointless. Yeah. You have to challenge yourself and do the, yeah. the heavy one. You yeah, know, and it's the same in these these kinds of situations where, uh, of course, the mathematically, this is, I think, well known among uh, research mathematicians may, uh, that. You, basically you're you're you know doing mathematics is sort of painful because you're always not understanding and that is the way it should be you know you should always be at the kind of precisely in that at the at the boundaries of what you can understand so that you're always lost and and that's the moment where that's how, how you uh, expand the horizon or the 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 scope of your knowledge by always being in that domain so so it is uh kind of unpleasant you know because you yeah. always have to be like yeah. how does this work Ah, and you're sort of it's it's uh in a way kind of you know, it's an unpleasant experience a struggle constant struggle but that is the, the nevertheless the place that you have to be in
0: yeah yeah and it's something that you have to learn to be comfortable with in a way yeah Yeah, i I see it a lot especially with thesis writers because i think especially the start of a thesis can be such a frustrating experience because you really need to figure out what is it that i even want to know what exactly is the question i want to ask and in order to answer that question what do i need to find out and that's there is no roadmap for to that there is no specific If you do A, then you do B, then you do C. It's not step one, step two, step three. It's a lot more chaotic and unclear. And and, um, I find that is often academically a new experience to students when they get to their thesis. Um, But it's something that's part of the process. And it's indeed as you're describing. That's when you're learning because that's when you have to start thinking about, okay, but what is the actual idea here? How is it connected? And then that's, that's where the learning happens.
1: No, definitely. And I definitely. For instance, again, uh, there's this uh, quotation that I use <coughs> to, to motivate this idea by Andrew Wiles, who's, who describes the famous uh, mathematician from today, who describes, well, uh, mathematics is like you enter a dark room and you fumble around <coughs> in the dark, uh, trying to figure stuff, you know, you're banging your knees into stuff and uh, falling over and yeah. get lost and... I say wait, am I back now? Where I was? Wait, wait which direction is that again? Say, <laughs> yeah,
0: where like am I too. even? Yeah.
1: And at a certain point, you you reach a kind of a lights switch. You find it. Oh, oh, I turn on the lights, and then you see everything. You know, like oh, I should have gone. Of course, I should have gone around that way yeah. and that. Oh, now it all makes sense. But the moment you do that, then you move on to the next room. You don't yeah. start banging your knees into other unknown obstacles. Yeah. That's the way you have to be. There's no point in standing around in a room where there is already light. There's, yeah. there's nothing to do. Yeah. So, so indeed, you have to. Uh, it is a process that is a a, a process, that or organic process where you kind of explore and make many mistakes and fumble. And then, but it's the only way, though yeah to make anything new right
0: yeah indeed so if you're not stuck you're not learning okay is there anything else that we should cover here
1: oh well it's uh, yeah that's uh, that's my philosophy i guess so it's probably i uh, rambled enough about it i suppose
0: i think you were very clear it didn't sound like rambling at all right if anything it's the most poetic way i've ever heard mathematics described that's right (laughs) well thank you very much for your time yes and uh yeah thank you